0: Hey, listeners, welcome back to another episode of Pediatric Meltdown, and I'm so glad you could join me today. What I'm bringing today is a follow up in the conversation that Dr. Garner presented last week on relational health. He presented the policy statement and an overview of the science, and today's guest is going to talk about practice transformation how you make those changes really happen and practical how to strategies in your own clinic. So let me introduce Dr. Sarah Stelsner. She is an academic pediatrician and the focus of her career has been developing programs in community pediatrics and promoting team-based care in the medical home model. She organized and was the first director of community rotations for first and second year pediatrics Participated in the publication of a guide to developing true partnerships with community-based organizations in residency programs and continued to build relationships within the Latino community to better serve the patients and families in her practice. She worked closely with the Centers for Service and Learning at Indiana University and to develop the community experience for residents. She contributed to the development of the Binational Cross-Cultural Health Enhancement Center and was the community liaison to the Signature Center, working closely with dental and nursing colleagues. She received and implemented a grant to place community-based organization faculty as co-teachers in continuity clinic settings and was a participant of the Indiana Community Integrated Services Systems Medical Home Project. She is currently the lead faculty in the Our Kids, Our Community Advanced Training, which was established in 2017, and is the physician lead for the Addressing socio Health and Wellness, or the ASHU, program for the Indiana Chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. She served as the co-president of the Indiana Chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics and is currently the Indiana American Academy of Pediatrics Chapter Legislative Chairperson. She and I cross paths in our work in the American Academy of Pediatrics, and I'm so delighted to reconnect with her. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Sarah Stelsner.
1: Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Leah. It's so good to see you and talk with you.
0: Yeah, you too. You too. It's been a long time, and I am so thankful that you have some time to spend with me today and share some of the work that you're doing with listeners. So I wanted to just jump right in. And you're a primary care pediatrician, and we met, boy, a long time ago when we were both chapter leaders. But tell us a little bit about your journey to get where you are right now. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess I'm, I'm lucky to have lived in a lot of different countries and places in the United States so I have that kind of cultural and language diversity. I also grew up with Polly Arango and Lance Tilton as my mentors, and my parents were always engaged in our community, so I think that those were the formative things that led me to be a community pediatrician. When I finished my training for residency and we moved to Indy for my husband's fellowship, Polly Arango introduced me to Donna Olson, who was the executive director of the Indiana Parent Information Network at that point, the Family Voices affiliate. And so Don and I worked together with Nancy Suganski to submit a Dyson Community Peds Training Initiative grant, and we received funding. So that was really formative for my career. I worked with the community pediatric rotations for many years, and now that sort of evolved into directing an advanced training for young faculty, which we call Our Kids, Our Community. And I'm happy that it's just been funded to expand to engage medical students, pediatric residents, and advanced practice providers using the curriculum we've
0: developed. Sounds like you're a grassroots pediatrician from the get-go. Yes, it's kind of uh, in my DNA. (laughs) I guess. You've been involved with the Indiana chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as National, for a long time. And most recently, you got involved in a new project called Addressing Social Health and Early Childhood Wellness, or the ASHU Project. Can you talk about what the big picture overview of that project is, and what's your role been? Yeah. Oh, it's been uh,
1: tremendous. Our chapter, the Indiana chapter, was lucky to be chosen as one of chapters for the initial project, ASHU project, which was approximately May 2020 to May 2021. And you can imagine the timing of that. (laughs) I'm the physician lead for our chapter, and my practice is one of the 10 initial sites. We're currently in a sustainability phase. But as you can imagine, the timing of the initial grant couldn't have been better and worse at the same time, while initiating these new workflows to screen for maternal depression, social drivers for health, and social emotional health of young children, using the key drivers of the project, which were so critical at the time, to prepare our practice's and our environments for trauma and resilience-informed care to foster and continually expand our referral network, we were to be utilizing a family-centered and strength-based approach. They really wanted us to establish and maintain effective systems to support the assessment and the primary care intervention referral and this closed-loop follow-up piece, finally to ensure care was delivered using a race and ethnicity and equity lens. But as you can imagine, this all fell, took place during the first surge of COVID and the lockdown. So it was quite a challenge to initiate new things into a workflow. But as I said, the the sort of compelling nature of the practice transformation and what the focus was enabled our teams to really grab onto it and run with it. I would say the other difficult thing, obviously, was engaging family leaders, which was a key component of the project because so many families were struggling how to just get through their days during those early stages.
0: So I want to break this down just a little bit. So interestingly, this kind of falls on the heels of this policy statement that came out about relational health. I mean, it was sort of follows that whole, kind of we learned about adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress and for a long time i mean that was a big learning point learning about that when bad things happen to kids that it causes these tremendous impacts that is not good as an adult so it can cause all kinds of relationships to health outcomes substance use lots of things that we really want to try and avoid and so there's been a, now a push to really look at the prevention piece. How do we stop this on an upstream model? And so I think there's been this development of a whole move to develop this relational health, which is, and you talked about this just a minute ago, which is strengths-based versus deficit-based. And I think we've been kind of in the deficit-based model for a long time. And so this project that you're describing, if I got this right, Was to help pediatricians help families explore their own strengths, what their goals were, and then to move the needle so that we really use what parents and families have to help their kids. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think many people have been hearing about this from statements coming out from the Academy with recent research findings, webinars. Grand Rounds, Andy Garner's given our Grand Rounds on Wednesday, so I'm looking forward to hearing more detail from him. But as you said, there's really compelling and positive research, just really, it's so hopeful that shows a focus on strengths and positive childhood events, such as just having safe, nurturing adult relationships can mitigate the harmful impacts of toxic stress and ACEs on health and life outcomes specifically for children. We've been learning so much about the brain changes that can happen from toxic stressors and and ACEs. But what's really amazing about this new research is that not only can we as sort of positive adult role models in children's and families' lives help them think about positive childhood experiences and the strengths of their families, and their communities and the people around them. But if we can help kids have those positive childhood events, it mitigates what they might be experiencing in terms of social drivers that are negative impacts. And the most amazing part is that the kids who have more ACEs or toxic stressors are even more impacted by these positive childhood events. So In some ways, the children and families who we feel maybe most overwhelmed by sometimes can be even more impacted by our intervention.
0: Well, it sounds like it's more than just throwing a life preserver to somebody who's struggling. I mean, this is like you're pulling them out of the water and wrapping your arms around them and giving them a snugly warm blanket.
1: (laughs) That's exactly. I love that analogy.
0: (laughs) Well, and I know we were lucky enough to have Andy Garner talk about the research and about the policy statement. And then this project that you're working on is really, from what I understand, it's kind of the how-to. Okay, we need to help families, so how do we do that? We're busy people, and how do we, in our own practices, one-on-one, each child lift them up? And so the project, there were with three different areas of focus. One was perinatal depression. The other was social determinants of health identification. And then the last was social emotional development. And so your project looked at kind of screening and then discussion. Can you talk a little bit about those individual components?
1: Yeah, so it was interesting working with we had six sites locally, and that obviously is my Best experience and that within my own practice. Most of the practices, I apologize, we had 10 sites originally. We now have six in this sustainability phase. What we did was, in order to make the biggest impact, we chose sites from the two biggest health systems because we thought if we really wanted to sustain this project, we needed to have that constant communication and buy in from leadership as well as being able to engage EMR as easily as possible. And we didn't want those two things to derail the practices from the very beginning. So that's something that helped us was to engage leadership and to understand how we could work within the EMR to make this as easy as possible and as sustainable. So most of the practices were already using the Edinburgh It was just a matter of standardizing how they documented it in their notes, in their EMR, but also what were the referral pieces that we could use. And serendipitously, our state, and I'm sure many other states, was really engaged in some great foundational work with OB navigation services. And then many of the systems also were trying really hard to have mental health services available for postpartum women. And so that worked out really well. And it was just our leadership helped to understand what was going on at the higher levels within these health systems and communicate and translate and make sure that the systems knew these practices were piloting these things. And so they could really kind of see how the larger initiatives were being used at the practice level. So that helped a lot. Social determinants of health or social drivers of health, I guess, is the new terminology. Again, the timing was really was good because the health systems were trying to do this well and engaging tools within their EMRs. So specifically for the practice that I'm in, we use Epic. And so the social factors screening was able to be used within the six practices in my system and so that made it much easier other practices would were able to use a number of different social drivers of health screens that they found on the star center so i would definitely recommend looking there and then just the socio emotional screen was the last one i think most of the sites implemented and we're just kind of starting to see the fruits of that work in the sustainability phase i think everybody sort of sat back on their laurels and said, oh, well, we've been, you know, doing our ASQ developmental screens for, you know, that's all in place. And we're doing that really well. And the referral piece of that and chat is going really well. But what we had to teach the sites and understand ourselves was the socio-emotional health is different. And so most of our sites have started using the SWIC and really, really liking the comprehensive nature of that tool. So that's also kind of out nicely as well.
0: And They're that nice, one, yeah. is that available to any practice or is that only if you're Epic-based,
1: the SWIC? No, the SWIC is downloadable for free. It's in, I would say, probably six or seven different languages. So that made it really easy for most of our sites to use it. So in Epic, there is a scoring tool and it will go into flow sheets, which is really nice because then you can pull that out in your note easily. We still have to pull it down for families to fill out on paper. But sometimes I think that's easier for, especially for families that are filling it out in Haitian Creole or Tigrinya, to be able to do it on paper is more comfortable for many families than on the laptop in the room, or I'm sorry, the the desktop in the room.
0: Right. Well, and that's interesting. I was going to ask you about the specific screens because I know some of the big EMR systems do have these built in and we talk about Epic and I'm not pushing Epic, but I know a lot of big systems, including the one that I work in, do use those. So that's what I'm familiar with too. But having these that are easy, because I think if you're asking pediatricians and pediatric clinicians to do one more thing, I mean, we're just like a big sigh, right? So Mm -hmm. having it where it's an easy flow would really help with that buy-in, I would think.
1: And I would, you know, as I use the SWIC and more, we've probably been using it regularly for about four or five months now. Everybody seems to like it a lot in the team, as well as families. One of our MAs commented, and I think this is really telling, this is a screen that really asks. People about what their lives are like. So not only does it do a developmental screen, it has a PHQ two for whoever the caregiver is with the patient. It has social determinants of health screening. It has some strengths based screening. How often do you read to your child? And then it also has a validated socio emotional screen. And then the nice thing is that six months in the built into the SWIC is an Edinburgh, and so. You can kind of get all of those three areas that ASHU was emphasizing on one tool, which makes that a compelling tool to use for new practices that are just launching this, this sort of initiative.
0: Yeah. So kind of one-stop shopping, it sounds mm-hmm. like, because I think about our practice, we've been doing the ages and stages questionnaire for a long time and yeah. we love it. Yeah. What we've struggled with is the actual billing for it because Bright Futures only indicates including that for certain points, a lot of payers only pay for it at that time. We do the Edinburgh. There's a lot of screening that I think that we're just eating the cost, Mm -hmm. giving our time as pediatricians always do, because we care about kids so much that we do a lot of things. What about when you're talking about sustainability? I mean, if you're doing this one-stop shopping, you'll have to tell me how many questions it is. Are, are pediatricians able to um, recoup some of that time and cost in doing that? That's an
1: interesting question. We have been billing for the SWIC as we do with the ASQ. I'm not certain whether we get payment for that because it is at different ages for the socio-emotional piece of it. We do it at 15 months, 24 months, and 48 months, and at six months as well. So again, those are new screening times for our payers. I feel like the SWIC really incorporates so many different things, so it's efficient. And I think payers, from what I've heard, are going to be asking us to do these things and making them quality indicators. So hopefully, again, this could be sort of a one-stop shop for many of these screenings that I think our payers are going to understand that if we know about these issues and we can build up the strengths within our families, that's going to be a
0: win-win for the payers as well. Well, and it just seems like, you know, if we're doing three different things like an Edinburgh and an mm-hmm. ages and stages questionnaire and an MCHAT, if you could do it all in one place, yeah. how many questions is the screen?
1: So the developmental domain screen is shorter, much shorter than the ASQ. It's probably about 12 or 15 questions and then there's like a bunch of little short ones like the phq2 and then it asks about concerns that the family might have it asks about sort of their um, familial relations how they get along with each other are there any kind of sources of conflict the socio-emotional part is probably the longest and that's again probably about 15 or maybe 20 questions probably less And then at the end is my favorite one about how many days a week do you read to your child? So it's two pages, two entire pages of questions. But as I said, I've been using it with people of all literacy levels speaking many different languages. And most people don't have a hard time filling it out. Our MAs hand it out as the families are waiting for us to come in. And it's very easy to put into the flow sheets and see the score right there and kind of know right away what sort of referrals or what have those very specific things that you can compliment the families on and bring out and encourage them to continue doing. So it's a really nice tool to start conversations. And as I said, it's free, which is also nice.
0: Free is always good. Free is always good. And if you can build it into an EMR is it something patients can do ahead of time on the portals?
1: So our system, it's not in that captive mode yet. So we can't assign it through my chart. I think it is something that they're working on. So we can assign the PHQ9 and GAD and Edinburgh if they have the online portal, but the SWIC, not yet. Other systems <laughs> might be able to within Epic.
0: Good to know. Boy, so many options. I think it's going to be a little bit hard. I mean, we've gotten really good at what we do. And so to kind of say, okay, but now we found something even better. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, sigh.
1: So It took us a minute to get used to and, the, and to get people's buy-in, but people really like it now.
0: Again, mm-hmm. the idea of making it simple and all in one. So what about positive screens? Because if we're going to do screening, we have to be prepared when there are areas of concern. So I think the ages and st- or the developmental screen part, I think we're probably pretty comfortable with, you know, mm. whether it's going to be early on, is it going to be speech, language, you know, OTPT. So I think we kind of know that what about with the perinatal depression piece and the social emotion piece, what did you do with those when there were concerns?
1: Yeah. Well, the two programs I think we worked with most successfully and kind of comprehensively across all of the sites within Indiana were the Help Me Grow Indiana. And I believe this is a program in most states and affiliated with many of the AAP chapters. And in our state, they have an online referral, they also have a phone number. Families can self refer, but they do, they help with early intervention, including autism positive screens and ABA. And they also will refer families and help them be sure that they get connected with OB navigation programs. And for these are also available for postpartum women in Indiana. And then finally, the Moms Helpline, which is kind of that more comprehensive piece of other resources that families may need to be sure that they kind of have their basic needs met so that they can address all the rest of the areas of their child's health. Our two health systems also invested in Aunt Bertha. So we've been piloting that platform and we've been guided by a project called the Monon Collaborative, here run by our Clinical Translational Sciences Institute. And the nice thing about that is that they have really kind of taken the side of the community-based organizations and advocated for them within the Aunt Bertha platform to make sure that the organization's needs are met and that things are going smoothly in their enrollment so that there are a wide variety of resources for us to turn to when we use the Bertha platform. And then the nice thing about a learning collaborative model is that we've shared the referral sources that have worked well within a different neighborhood. And so obviously we're still in the process of working out the closed loop referral piece, I think that's the hardest part. Aunt Bertha promises to maybe do that. And I think um, Help Me Grow does a great job of that because they will send a provider a fax back with the information from their referral. But the second delta wave and a, a, a malware attack on one of our large systems Set us back a bit. So we're kind on that bit right now.
0: So I want to talk about two of the things you mentioned. So the help me grow, would that be the early intervention program that's a national federal program? Or is that specific to Indiana?
1: No, it's it's a national program. It's not federally funded. It was an initiative that was introduced to us a couple of years ago, and our state took it. On a more comprehensive level, they piloted it in a small area, and now it has grown statewide, which makes it much easier to use. I believe it's available. It's just it's a different model that's available in different states.
0: Okay, I'll have to look into that. Yeah. The other thing I'm thinking would be another partner is, and it's going to vary by state. Are these child psychiatry access programs? And I've talked about them a lot, and I've yeah. had several different psychiatrists on the program, so. In the state of Michigan, MC3 provides psychiatric consultation and mental health resources by locale, um, so where we can call and say, hey, I've got a question. They also have, and this varies a lot by state, perinatal component. So an OB can call and say, hey, I have this mama that's depressed and I'm not sure what to do, or she's on these psychiatric meds, is that safe? And they do a lot of this relational modeling. Now, again, I think some states have the Child Psychiatry Access Program. And I think with recent funding, that's gonna be expanded. There's a, a lot of HRSA money out there to do that. I'm not sure about the perinatal piece for all areas, but I would really recommend to listeners, and I'll include the link, to look at the National Network of Child Psychiatry Access Programs map, because it will let you know if there's something in your state so that would be another resource. I'll look into this Help Me Grow, but also could you talk a little bit about Aunt Bertha platform? I don't know about yeah. that.
1: Sure. Actually, let me do it. Just a shout out to our Indiana version of the child psychiatry call-in. Ours is called Be Happy, and it is amazing. So I would definitely second that recommendation. We can call and we do an intake. And then within that same day or the next day, a child psychiatrist calls us back. And again, they write up the entire discussion and the referrals and then fax you within a day or two their report. So not only can you have the information as you're talking to them, but then it's written down and formalized. So I can't say enough about that model. Aunt Bertha is an I'm not sure I'm going to say this correctly because I'm not a tech guru, but it's basically a platform that is available nationally. Systems do have to pay for it, but then they can kind of make it their own. So, my system has its own website that includes our system name in it that we can give to families that they can use. But we also have it integrated within our Epic system. So, it's a tab, which makes it amazing if you have time to sit with a family and address that specific need, you put in their zip code, you can filter by a million different things to make it very specific. It's available in multiple different languages, which makes it very user friendly. So I have a smart phrase that I put in all of the checkout for my families and I give them a sentence as I'm finishing up about how to use it and that it's in your checkout or on the platform if they have the online patient platform. But as, again, as I say, it depends on your community and which organizations sign up for it. So it's kind of a bilateral, it's a partnership. So I'm grateful that Indiana or Indianapolis specifically has kind of taken it on and made it a rich source of referrals. But I think it is it can be tricky in other places.
0: It sounds very exciting. And it also sounds like it's an opportunity for some grassroots advocacy with systems. And it certainly sounds like something a state could look into, but, you know, of course, when you have to buy things, that's always tricky. And what's the return on investment for an organization? And our
1: state has also invested in not Aunt Bertha, but a different platform, their sort of own platform. So it's also interesting to see how these things kind of come together and While it gives you lots of options, it also makes things layered. So I would definitely recommend people look into what the different options are around their state.
0: Right. I think that's where you have to do sort of locale, region, Mm -hmm. state by state, which makes this tricky. I mean, it would be nice if every state had all these resources and they were at our fingertips, but there are things that are, I mean, early on, early intervention is certainly available to anyone, and that's free, and they come to your home and do an assessment, and I think also help connect families to resources, and if they do meet criteria, they can get speech, and and then once they get into the school system, you know, the schools do provide some of that, so that's at least one thing that's in place now. One of the things
1: about is that many systems are really engaging in the community health worker model, which I find is so impactful to families, especially if they're embedded within your system, because then these people can go into the homes, do all these referrals, and then communicate back with you within your EMR, which is such a beautiful closed loop system. I'm really hopeful that many more systems will be able to engage that model too
0: and i can't give enough shout outs to integrated behavioral health models where we've been able to have social work in our practice so if we identify a mom who is struggling with postpartum depression we can then easily communicate with the social worker in her ob practice and say hey we you know want to kind of communicate or our emergency department if there's been a teen that came in with a behavioral health concern a suicide attempt they can close that loop. And that's been a huge plus and where I think electronic records really can be extraordinarily helpful. I wanted to talk for a minute about the family involvement and, you know, what that looks like in terms of instituting these models. Did you use like family advisors to kind of set it up? And then what's it look like when you're in the room with a patient and you find some areas that you would like to help them with if they identify it as an area of interest or concern?
1: Yeah, I think the family leaders that are engaged in the project are critical and one of the biggest learning areas for practices. So each of the chapters has a family leader as a part of the leadership group. So Kara Cassavan is our leader, and then they meet separately at a national level to sort of look over the entire project and make suggestions. But then each of the sites was highly encouraged. It was one of the sort of main pieces. Again, it was difficult to do this during the pandemic, but there was funds available to support a family leader. And in the practices that were able to engage a family leader, they were really critical in helping us to sort of script these tools that we were using to screen. Again, you know, we're emphasizing strengths-based assessments, but initially the three tools that we were implementing had some heavy questions to them. And so the family leaders were, were really helpful in helping us make this something that not only people speaking different languages, but from different countries might embrace. And I think that's the piece that's evolving is, especially as many of our communities are welcoming unaccompanied minors, uh, families who are have people sort of at all stages of arrival and our new Afghan families, how do we introduce these screens to them is going to be, I think, a different
0: challenge and one we'll use our family leaders for. Well, and the needs are going to be really different for yeah. different populations and I did want to ask you, what does it look like with a family as far as the language you might use to close your visit? That would be an example of a strengths-based closure. Is there something like you can share what that might sound like?
1: Actually, it's funny because we, in my practice and other practices maybe do it differently. We open with it because we decided that if we're going to be Maybe doing some trauma informed questions or definitely these screens. But if we started by asking the family, what are they most proud of? Or what are the things that are most important to them? What are you learning about your baby? Those sort of questions as openers that it helps them understand that we know that there are so many good things and positive things going on that when we ask maybe some more. Probing questions that might be more difficult for them to answer. That we really are coming from a place of trust and wanting to help them continue to grow those strengths and provide as much support to their families and their children as possible. So we start the visits with those questions.
0: And then, do you have a an end? I mean, do you have a kind of a close? Yeah, each of us
1: probably has our own way of closing. I close with the resources, just to make sure that that doesn't get lost in all of the paperwork and all of the things that they're getting done, the vaccine, the COVID counseling, the, you know, all that stuff. So I close with, these are the resources, not only the Aunt Bertha site, but I include the information about local libraries, different supports such as food pantries so that they have that soft landing at the end. If there's anything else that you need to help your family be as successful as possible. Here are some other suggestions.
0: I love that term, soft landing. (laughs) That's really, I mean, it's very visual what that looks like. So maybe after they've been picked up out of the water, bundled in a warm blanket, now you can put them on their soft landing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, a nice close. So just, you know, I mean, if For example, I said, Gosh, I would really love to get involved in this. I want to transform my practice. This really speaks to me. What would a pediatrician out in the field do to get involved in something like this? Is that an option? Yeah, I
1: think the best thing would be to connect with one of the AAP leadership teams, the chapter teams. There were only six originally, but we are open to whoever would want to connect with us to maybe have a coaching session. I feel like that personalized, where are you? What are you already doing? What can we help you with? Would be a great starting point. The other thing that I would suggest is all of our chapters are putting together a supplement for the pediatrics journal that should be out in the spring. that will serve as a great guide. You can kind of pick and choose through the articles of the different screens that you might choose. How to engage a family leader? What were some of the ways that you taught your teams to start this initiative? How to engage leadership at your system? And then the last thing would definitely be to check out the STAR Center for different screens. They also have some really wonderful videos to help with the strengths based approach. Because again, that is something that I think is not especially if you've been in practice for a while, doesn't come as first nature, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, we want to fix things. Yes. (laughs) We're not always looking at what's already there and then just making it better. You know, maybe it's a renovation rather than a rebuild. So let me ask you just in closing too. So again, let's say I wanted that coaching consult. Where would I go? I mean, what do I search for?
1: Yeah so the Ashu collaborative has a great leadership team at the national level Megan Hevron and and Eileen Riley but I think within the screening the star center there's a section that lists some of the contacts as well and I'm happy to be a contact for people as well through the Indiana AAP chapter you're welcome to connect with us and we can get you to the right place
0: okay well that's that's very helpful I'll make sure that I include the links to the star. And so we can put that in the show notes for people that are interested, but I like, you know, the first thing might just be watching a video on what relational health, what that sounds like. And so maybe I can also link to one of those videos. Well, thank you so much. And this sounds so exciting. I, I mean, I'm a practical person. I want like the, okay, I get the stuff, I think. But now I really want to do something to make it better. And this sounds like that's an option to do that. So thank you for your work. This sounds really exciting. Well, listen, I always close with if you could go back and talk to yourself as a resident or medical student, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Well, it's funny. You kind of gave me a great segue to my advice. It would be to step back from trying to fix things, as you said and focus on building relationships and understanding the family and community strengths. We know that promoting positive childhood events can mitigate the impacts of toxic stress and ACEs. And not only does it help our families and our patients, but I really feel like it helps alleviate the moral injury we all feel as pediatricians and health teams when we're overwhelmed by our patients' social drivers of health. So the relational piece and Strengths based approach, I think, will help to alleviate some of the burnout we're all feeling.
0: Wait a minute, you're saying this is good for us too? Yes. Ooh,
1: (laughs) bonus! It is, and I I feel like that's one of the best outcomes of this project is seeing, you know, like our young MAs who are really, you know, struggling themselves with much of what's going on, and to see them embrace this project and take these screening tools and the strengths based approaches that we've been trying to have everybody use, not only just the providers, but the last kind of shout out I'll give is to the early brain EBCD grid. I think it's also got a link in Star Center. I might've sent it to you. That is a great way to engage your team members and get give people that sort of positive input when they're engaging. Family. Yeah, this
0: sounds like What I always hold on to is that magic moment in the office when you are able to get that feedback from the family. And it's just such a feel good for everybody Mm -hmm. to be able to say to somebody, wow, look at your baby and how they look at you. Oh, that's so lovely. Mm -hmm. And everybody feels great about it. You feel great about it that you've helped them see their own loveliness. And, you know, the baby's happy, the mama's happy, the daddy's happy, the grandma, whomever is with them, that this is a uplifting moment mm-hmm. for I everybody. That wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. And I'll make sure that I include a lot of these links. I'll look forward to your work that's going to come out next spring. It sounds very exciting. And we didn't really even get into talking about some of the outcomes. But just a quick summary was, things really improved and the social emotion piece you're working on and a lot of the skills and strategies on screening improved and clinicians and
1: our teams really embraced it. So that I think yeah. was really positive. it didn't feel like it one more thing we were asking people to do.
0: And I think that's really important because we often feel like we're drowned in all the things that we're supposed to accomplish in these brief visits, which I mm-hmm. hope in the future that we have enough reimbursement that we can do longer visits because yeah. the engagement that we have can be so positive and meaningful for the families and these and these children. So, well, again, thank you so much for your work and we'll look forward to more of it. Lovely to spend time with you, Leah. Thank you. What a great conversation. I am so delighted that Sarah could spend some time with me because What I really love about this conversation is that it is a practical how-to project that can really transform what you're doing in your real-time office or hospital setting where you can really make changes. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, and I thank you so much if you are, you know that I'm a very kind of bullet point What do I need to do? What do I need to change? And that's why I'm really drawn to this project. So here's my takeaways. Number one, relational health is a strengths-based model versus the more familiar deficits-based model that moves us from finding a problem to fix, which is something we're really great at, to finding what works and supporting families to really blossom. Number two, the work that Dr. Stelzner has been doing builds off of the 2021 AAP policy statement on relational health and talks a lot about safe stable nurturing relationships and Dr Garner discussed that on our previous episode right before this one episode number 56 so if you haven't listened tune in there first because it's a good framework for this conversation today number 3 the AAP ASU project which stands for addressing social health and early childhood wellness uses a learning collaborative model so Physicians talk to themselves to really embed screening for perinatal depression, social drivers of health, and social emotional learning, and supports a practice through the transformation. You know, we're really, how do we do this? And there's nothing like talking to peers who have struggled with some of the same things. Number four, the model engages family right at the front end and at the beginning of a well child examination you know sarah really uses some nice language like what are you most proud of or what is the most important to you about your baby and then introduces the screenings and she said that's really a nice way to come at a family with not what's worrying you but what are you happy about what's going well number 5 there are many screening tools that can be used and these include but are not limited to the Ages and Stages Questionnaire and the MCHAT, which are for developmental milestones and autism screening. The Ages and Stages Questionnaire Social-Emotional Screener. Now, those ASQs have to be purchased. The Edinburgh screen is free. There are some varying tools for determining the social determinants of health. And then she talks a lot about the SWIC, which is a tool that is free and in multiple languages. And it kind of rolls all of these things into to one. So that's not what I'm familiar with, but I think it's worth exploring. And the AAP Star Center site, which is in the show notes, is a great resource to look at these options and really, you know, find what works for you and what's gonna make your workflow easier. It might be something to check out like what's in your EMR and how is this going to integrate into that. Number six, to sustain the work, in other words, to pay for our time, it is important that we advocate with payers and our institutions to reimburse us for our time and expertise. We are experts in this work and we cannot do more without time and funding. Number seven, Explore the resources in your state. So we talked a lot about the Help Me Grow program, Child Psychiatry Access Programs, Early On, and Mom's Helpline. So there are several different resources, and again, those are all in the show notes with links. The EBCD resources, again in the show notes, provides an outline for you that includes a grid that focuses on these EBCDs, which include exploring the child's environment, building relationships, cultivating development, and developing parent confidence. So under each of those big items, there are some practical, like how do I approach this with questions and what kind of resources can I offer? So it's a nice tool. And Sarah talked about actually having it laminated in her office because she uses it and refers to it at all of her appointments. Number nine, consider using family leaders in your chapter and institutions or even your practice. And what we really want to know is what we are doing, hitting the mark with what our families say they need and want. You know, is there a nice compatibility between those things, what we do and who we serve? Number 10, closed loop referrals are essential so that we get feedback to continue to support the family. So if I send a child to early on, what I really need is to hear back from the early on providers to let me know what are the things that I need to make sure I am working on and can help best coordinate, because I think that's what, you know, pediatricians and pediatric clinicians are really good at is we're good conductors. Number 11, this work is not just a life preserver, but a scooping up out of the depths, wrapping up. You up in a warm blanket and finding a soft landing. So it's not just about a rescue, it's about how can we really support you and build your own skills and make sure that what we're doing focuses on what you, the patient, wants, what you, the family wants, so we can best help you with that. Number 12, for more information about practice transformation and the ASHU project, check out the STAR Center or reach out to Dr. Stelsner through the iNAP, that's the Indiana AAP chapter, link is in the show notes, and look for the AAP supplement that will be coming out in spring of 2022. And number 13, keep looking for, finding, and rejoicing in the magic moments that we have with children and families. It's why we get up every day, right? And this is what feeds our soul. So thanks again for listening. I hope that this was inspirational for you to start taking a look at what you're doing in your practice. And you don't have to do it all at once. You know, look at a small thing. If you're not doing the Edinburgh, for example, can you implement that? If you are implementing it, do you have all the resources that you need for your mamas? If you're not screening for social determinants of health, before you do that, You know, what are the resources in your community? And reach out to some organizations like food pantries to see what they can offer. So lots of practical things that we can do. And I hope that you found something in the conversation today that resonates with you. Thanks so much and continue doing all the great things you do for kids and take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. This podcast was made possible by the team at Streamlined Podcasts. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero.